0: Welcome, everyone, to the Lighter Mind Podcast. In the Lighter Mind, we explore spirituality, personal growth, trauma, recovery, and the path to wholeness. The Lighter Mind Podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any forms of mental illness. We are not licensed therapists unless otherwise noted, and these are experiential conversations. Hey everyone, this is Kyle with The Lighter Minds. I got Alan and Crow here today. And we have been on a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back in here again. And today, uh, we were going to talk about... So so Crow and I um, have worked in the mental health field and like the drug and alcohol field, most of our our own sobriety. And we wanted to kind of talk about the uh, ups and downs of that, um, you know. Anyone who's listening, who's thinking about getting into kind of being on the front lines of addiction and mental health and stuff like that, uh, we can kind of give you a little bit experience into what that's actually like and some of the pitfalls. I know I definitely have had some pitfalls in the past. I started started my first. Uh, drug and alcohol rehab job when i was nine months sober and i can kind of pivot back around to how much of a shit show that was for me but um i know that crow had something wanted to say on this before well, we
1: before we get that oh to yeah that, i'd like to wish my good friend crow Happy birthday today! Oh, is it your no, birthday today? No, come on, man! No, happy birthday! I was trying to keep this quiet. <laughs> oh, I've been I waiting. Mean, well, it was bastard. Bastard. it was Corey's two days you ago, bastard. and then yours. Oh, that's yeah. right. It's and then my Corey's wife texted, two... and she's like, "I think it's Chris's birthday." I said, "Oh, I know it is." Oh,
0: so, you well, dirty, well, Happy dirty, birthday! Yeah,
1: yo, yo, I tried so. to get Marilyn Monroe to come out of a cake. But <laughs> apparently, she's been dead for a couple oh, of years.
0: Oh, so. yeah, what are you, thirty-two today, man? Yeah. Damn. 31. 31? Damn, 31. Damn. You look good, man. <laughs> <laughs> don't look a day
1: over 31. <laughs> uh, yeah. oh, Anyhow, God. that was all. Oh, all I know sure. how old you are, but I don't, I, I feel, I, next year I'll be there. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, let's just put it this
2: way, man. We're over a decade, or we're over uh, uh, half a
1: millennia. Yeah, we were 10 years. You were 10 years ago. <laughs> Half a century, not Valeria, a millennia. Uh, he's 500. He's Methuselah. Yeah, wait,
2: wait, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Holy oh, cow, I, I know will. it, man. I, I never thought I'd see this day, but yeah, here you, we are. Yeah, Kyle, man, I, I feel you on this uh, recovery thing, man. Uh, I've been doing this uh, social work, uh, giving back mm-hmm. sort of work. Um you know I've, I've always never really cared for that term. I know you just want to give back. It sounds so slight, but when I think you 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 really go through I think the ringer and you really come through um it, it's more than just a little giving back. It's a commitment, you know. This is a new way of life you put on and uh I think going back to one of the first podcasts that we did where I had talked about the Joseph Campbell wheel. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm a, the big proponent of right in the, in the hero's journey and 12, you know, which we could call in, you know, other, other, uh, groups, I guess you could say, um, recovery centers and recovery groups. You, You could call the return, it's nothing more than the return nothing more or less than the return it's giving back as joseph campbell put it you're bringing back that elixir right that that uh seed of knowledge or you know holy grail whatever it is it's the cup it's the elixir it's the truth and you know and for me that was just in being trying to be there for others and right out of the gate my my sponsor made me go get a uh, a volunteer gig somewhere and so I volunteered at this place and I had no idea and Alan remembers this I had no idea it was at a homeless clinic and that's where I started and, and it had nothing to do with recovery and I could actually take my eye off that ball not that I was in denial I just never talked about it but in a you know, homeless clinic, I mean, my God, you get to see, you know, everything, every every challenge that somebody's coming in with. And, you know, um, so it really, it really uh, helped me put mine into perspective. And those folks taught me more about myself in my recovery than I could have learned perhaps just being pigeonholed in with others in my same issues you know what I'm saying I could really branch out and really look at a broader perspective of people with challenges and it, and it really uh, um, it really opened me up but I think there's a tremendous amount in what Campbell calls that return in that because you're constantly going from you know the initiation. Which is right in the center of that which is that boiling point that point where we got to go through it and we all go through it everybody goes through it every single person goes through it um when they go home at night or whatever you got to close the door and you got to deal with you and your your demons your dragons as he put it and and uh but then by day we got to go back out and and give And so it's a matter of learning boundaries. It's a matter of learning to refuel. How do you do do that? How do you take self-care? That became, you know, imperative to me, which I wasn't even aware of, or the fact that I was worthy of self-care. But, you know, I had to learn all these things in this compressed time, and I went from from homeless after, and then they hired me. Can you believe that? They hired me. And I'm like, no, I don't want to stay here. You don't understand, man. I I want to get back to the real world and make a lot of money. And uh, they said, no, you should just pray on it. And those are the famous last words, man. Oh, my God, here we go. You know, now you're you're throwing the guilt thing at me, you know, kind of whatever. Fuck. So I said, okay, I came back a couple days later, and I said, yeah, this is where I need to be. And I need to be serving. I need to be in service.
1: And it was in service that I, that I, that well, and I, I think service is a much better turn that term than giving back. Yeah. It because, is. You know, know, I mean, I've industry, met plenty of service. people who are in service to others that never really got. So it was really hard to give back when, you know, your life has been just a mess, but somehow you come out of that darkness and, and you go into service for someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. So giving back to me, giving back always sounds like, oh, well, I was super successful at whatever, and now I'm going to give back. You know, well, it almost sounds like breadcrumbs or something. Well, well it, no, yeah, it, yeah. To, it also, it, I don't know, it kind of sounds like, I, I don't know, it just, there's some level of like slight pretentiousness, as yeah. I almost get out of that. Like, well, yeah. yes, now I'm giving back. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, well,. It, who were you, Robin Hood? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know no. So, yeah. I, I think that saying service is better. You it know, is. I mean, there's that connotation that you work at McDonald's. I'm in the service industry, but service to others, I think, is much better.
0: It comes yeah. from the heart. What, it's uh, a different thing. I it's feel a- like service is almost more of a lifestyle, and giving is more of an action. And so, I feel like giving is almost like one of those one-time exchanges, and service is like it can almost transform it's like a whole sense of being and like how you operate how you interact with people and i don't know it it, it's it's deeper it's it's the
2: component it's the one of the main components for me in that alchemical process of where is that going to come from where is the energy of this going to sustain itself and i've seen countless countless um uh, young people and interns uh, from every profession from medical that I've worked with in, the, in some of our clinics and, and uh, from uh, the psychiatry field and whatnot, that have gone into this and <clears throat> they don't have a sense of that that it needs to refuel itself it needs to you know, almost be this inertia needs to build from within so where does that come from and how does that Become this momentous self-sustaining sort of energy force that this is what you do this is above all this is who you are and it becomes your primary top top like value it becomes everything it's just inherent in you and I've seen that where that's the difference between a profession and your as you put it your lifestyle Mm -hmm. you know There's no doubts.
1: And that has to. That has to. All right. So that touches. Mm -hmm. So I ran, like I told you guys, I ran into our friend Adam Unbreakable V Hill the other day, and we were discussing this podcast. Um, And he was saying how, and I was telling him when you and I watched our friend's band play, and you were kind of having an existential moment about the lack of success. in you know i mean the high rate of recidivism or whatever and he was saying yeah it's 5% he's like if we're lucky you know 5% of these people that go in come out you go right, into um, recovery right okay yes yeah. yes so and that got me thinking that it's how challenging it is and there's probably a ton of turnover because the the success is very low like if someone said you know you got a five percent chance of doing whatever i'm not doing it right Mm -hmm. because it's to me it would be feel unfulfilling if if you look at any kind of career like all right i brewed beer right so only five percent of your batches of beer are ever gonna be sellable right Mm. would i keep doing it no right so what it takes is something beyond like a tangible success. Like when we were talking, I said, well, my vision is you have to look at those five out of 20 people that actually are successful. And you know, you amplify that. And then you've got to like tamper down all the failures Mm-hmm. right cuz if if you look at it that way i'm like man this would suck i you know it yeah. and even when we worked with those kids it was just tough seeing them like this the lack of success like how quickly the it was like a revolving door mm-hmm. you know of, yeah. of, of teams cuz there was there wasn't the quick fix there wasn't the Mm-mm. you know mm-hmm. and there's, it could there's... have been the program was not is
2: well, there's there's something great. You said a million things in there. First off, when we do service, you have to be completely willing and satisfied with no result. So your expectation has not only has to be lowered, right. but I think it you have to annihilate it. You have to be unattached and to the outcome. Exactly. Totally. Mm-hmm. Completely. 100%. Because you don't know if five years from now, you were the thing going back that the seed, you dropped the seed. The mm-hmm. one seed. And you don't know that, but you're not going to be there to to see that, to come to fruition. It, and it, as much as us humans, by by our nature, we want to know I'm on the right path. And what I'm doing, saying and facilitating this, this client or this person, whoever, you know, I want to know that I'm helping, but we don't get that. And to know and to let go of the results, to know you, you don't get that, but all you can be is be, and you have to have this. So that's that inherent interior, uh, self worth. That has to be there first, and that has to—that is a—that is a battery sucker, Kyle. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That that will run you down so fast because you're not getting replenished in the moment. So that's why self-care. Yeah, and that was one
1: of the things when we worked with the kids that I took immediately. Like, a, we always had three days off to recharge. Yes. And B, you know, being an introvert, you get drained by that energy, right? So yes. I remember, you know, the first day off, always afterwards, I'd be like, Ugh. Yep. You know, so you really... Physically drained. Physically and Physically. Mentally. But I think it's the mental physically drains you. Like, mm-hmm. you're just going as hard as you can mm-hmm. to, to keep, you know, keep juggling the cats. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So yeah, so that's a challenge, right, for everyone in that industry. And I think you know we were having a conversation before about how a lot of people are kind of checked out, and these not the the clients, but the people who work there, are just like going through the motions, you know, and having conversations, personal conversations about their with the other you know employees rather than getting out and working with the people, and and, and maybe it's some level of being just burned out or not recharging or not taking care of yourself um, mm-hmm. or i mean you know like i was saying to adam it must it's that the the you know 15 out of 20 that don't come back or leave and then overdose and die right you know right i mean at some point you it's got to be super challenging to walk in and be like what's the point and he was telling me that when he was in prison one of his cellmates is out and he was like i was sure this guy was gonna be one of the five that was successful but he called me he's like he called me and is like he goes immediately i heard in his voice that there was a problem he's addicted the guy's addicted to fentanyl okay you know so i was like well man i'm here for you um and uh you know so it's I mean that that's got to be a really hard hard part of that
0: mm-hmm. so um, yeah and it it's i I think in my first experience working or, or not even necessarily working in the field but being being a part of this community I think I was I was a part of some Some step program out in North Carolina when I was in my first couple years of sobriety, and I think I started when when I started to hear oh this person died, this person died, this person died, and I actually lost I actually lost I think in my first two years of recovery, it was one person a month that I knew about, which was like and I was I was a part of like a, a young people's group, and there was a huge huge wave of heroin. And this is like back when fentanyl was just starting to be a thing, which was six years ago or something like that. And no one, you know, no one could tolerate, you know, how strong fentanyl was. And so it was killing people immediately. Now people are addicted to it because it's been in heroin for years. Right. Uh-huh. But it's, um, this was when, I mean, people would take it, they would take one shot of it and they would die immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think it really was, I, I stopped counting in my, like, after about a year and a half, because there was, sometimes there was two, two a month, sometimes there was three a month. I mean, it was just, like, I mean, I think it was, by the time I left, it was, like, 38 or something in just two years, and some of those were, like, friends, you know, and I think um, that really put into perspective how close I was To actually being one of those people because the the statistic and like for anyone who's listening, um, if if you manage to if if you're in sobriety and you manage to maintain like more than a year, know that like you are actually beating the odds because the odds are unfortunately against us. Just because this is such this is such like a debilitating disease that it i i mean it's it's become it's become so bad that it's actually more of an epidemic now than yeah. just i mean it's it's becoming like a like a true definitely you is you know a definitely true is. health issue for our world it, yeah and so it it is very difficult and i think like in my first there were there were times in my first couple of years of sobriety where i almost thought about like giving up cuz i was just like like this is we're fighting a losing battle here oh my god it's draining you know it's It's like it it really is and it's it's heartbreaking yeah and it's um yeah i cried a lot you know i really did and i think but i think that like the fact that i continue to push forward i continue to see like the benefit of of actually not giving back but serving others to be able to like walk side along them during their journey Mm -hmm. um and then removing myself from like the outcome, you know, you know, we've, we talked about attachment in here and and being attached to outcomes and absolutely being able to remove myself and and be unattached to whatever the outcome is. Um, it's still fulfilling work, but it's, um, like you were saying, Crow, you got, you have to know how to take care of yourself when you're doing this because people die. You, you, they do.
2: You have to understand that. And in that taking care of yourself you were, uh, Alan, what I was hearing you say, you were really alluding to a heightened sense of self-awareness mm. because you have to A, know that you're taking a physical hit that first day off of work. That's physical and you're drained and then if you're not aware of those energies and you don't believe in those energies or whatever your gig is, that's fine but Don't tell yourself all day long while you're trying to run the kids here and there and go shopping and do everything else and you have no energy. Don't tell yourself a scenario or give yourself some narrative like I'm bad or I'm off today and I should be. In a better place because it's my day off, or I should be this, or I should be that. No, you what you should be is exactly what you are, yeah, is a walking skin battery, and you just absorbed an enormous amount of energy from others all week long. So, you have to be responsible, and and um, and in that, yeah, you 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 alluded to. Kyle, you were talking about that. It's almost like a wall. Mm-hmm. And with that self-awareness, you you understand where that wall is, you know, and, and there was a long stretch in there when I, I heard of, you know, ex-folks that I knew and clients or whatever, and they had passed away and od I'm like, well, you know, I said to myself, I did the best I could. That was their choice. Mm -hmm. ultimately in the end it's all our choice everything's our choice and that was their choice Um, and then you know so there was almost this wall that I would put up you know and uh, sometimes that wall doesn't work and it gets in and uh, I can tell you that happened to me just within the last you know four or five months and it hit hard and uh, so you know, there's more around that, and and I really struggled with that. I had to go through all the terribly difficult things with grief and guilt, and it was and it was not the guilt, but the grief, the cycles of grief, terrible, horrible. And yeah. it's like I'm pissed one second to beat the band. I'm just angry the next second. I'm just flooded with um, sadness. Just all outside and I had to go through all of that and ultimately what I arrived at in that was I'm blessed to be able to feel and I for the longest time hadn't allowed myself any of that in this caregiving work that we do in this social arena in this arena of service and and I wasn't allowing that and it was a nice reminder ultimately as I worked through that that Hey, I'm, I'm, I do feel, Mm -hmm. and I'm not this ultimate plastic stoic. I'm, I'm a a, a, one that does feel and I had to process those feelings and that was difficult. But, but to be aware of that takes time and it takes time alone because, you know, in, in, and,
0: or with good, good counseling and good guidance, you know, yeah, I feel um, like a lot of it's experience too, because I because I think that, um, yeah. I especially like for for anyone who's listening, like if you're, I mean, if you're sober, like like Crow and I are, it is or like if you if you've been through like the struggle with addiction, there's there's different like phases in recovery. I mean, it's like you know your first year is just kind of kind of figuring out how to stand on your own two feet again and then your second year you get more into like your mental health journey and then third you might possibly get into start getting into like relationships and you know rebuilding relationships with other people and then it just keeps going on I mean there's different phases and I feel like through experience you start like in you know with working in this field because I've had experiences with working in the field where like my own shit got in the way far too often mm-hmm. where like i was like my first my first job where I, w- I was nine months sober i was projecting a lot of my own shit on other people i was attached to the outcome i was shaming myself when like a client would not succeed a lot of trans you know all that you know but then the next job i had learned that like I was drained because of the things that I was doing, because of my own shit. And I had to I had to really learn from that experience so that my next job I got a little bit better at. I got a little bit better with talking with people and holding space for people, you know, but then my boundaries came in, you know, and I didn't have really good boundaries. And so, you know, the next job I had to kind of work on that and I got into more, you know, counter transference and transference and projection And, um, shaming and resentments and that shit that I had to deal with again. And so it's, I think it's, um, you you have like, it's, that it's really the only way that like, if you're going to start working in a field like this, where like you are, you are truly wholeheartedly serving other people. You're gonna fuck up, like, you, yeah. like you're going to, like, you're yeah. gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna realize, like, what doesn't work. And I think, like, one of the most beautiful moments for me, for me, was being able to identify that, you know, having that moment of like self awareness of I of really identifying where I was and where the client was and uh, and and understanding like where the line is being crossed, like, what's my shit, what's their shit, how am I being selfish, how you know, how am I how am I really showing up in this moment? And like, I'm almost eight years sober and I'm just now able to do that. Yeah. And I've worked five jobs in here in the last seven and a half years. And so, and, and so I think it's super important to understand that like, if, if you're thinking about getting into the mental health field, thinking about getting into drug and alcohol recovery, um, you got to give yourself a break because you're not going to get it right the first time. You might not get it right the first three, four times, um, but we're growing through this experience. You know, we're we're really like we're trying to understand ourselves. We're trying to understand um, how can we actually be selfless, and I think that that's what it really comes down to. Because I think if you're going into, if you're going into the mental health field thinking that like oh i'm gonna save everyone and about personal glory and all this shit like you're gonna you're gonna fail i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you that right now because that's not that's not what it's about you know and that you're not actually benefiting the people that you're trying to serve
2: i like what you said right there you had a great point where you knew that the balance and and the the big payoff for you was perhaps in the least expected place Mm. When you first come into the 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 whole thought of your return journey and you're get you know your your service to others, and if if you choose to go that path in life, uh, which I I know that everybody's capable of doing in this God's green earth, everybody's capable of giving something, and everybody needs your art. So you so um, I like what you said though that. That your fine finest moment came when you realized that you were neither here nor there, mm-hmm. and you were just simply holding space, yeah, and walking alongside. That is the difference between walking alongside or trying to pull somebody from the front or trying to push them from the back, yeah, you're just walking alongside, and yeah the you know it's the the whole symbol of the the palm is up. If you want to take my hand, here I am. But I'm not going to put my hand on top of yours and just guide you and tell you what to do. Yeah. And um, and and so if you if I get all kinds of accolades or anything else, that doesn't you know that just means I'm on the right path. Mm-hmm. That's simply all it means. It's not a testament to me. It's not specifically me. It's just that the program is working, and I'm a part of that. And, you know, from that, uh, a large degree of humility is gleaned as well. You are not alone in this endeavor, mm-hmm. endeavor and, you, and you begin to feel a sense of, I'm not working on my 100% own agency here. Um, this is definitely in my case, and I know in, uh, in all of your cases, uh, especially in Adam the Unbreakable, we got a higher power here that we're we're under new management, and uh, there's there's more places than just what we can see in our world mm-hmm.
0: to draw on that source that source of of strength mm-hmm. and hope so. Yeah, I really, I really liked how you were saying, I mean, I, I mean, just kind of being a part of someone's journey, because I think that, and you, you had said something earlier about the planting seeds, because you, you were in, Alan, you were talking, um, we were talking about kind of like the difficulties of seeing the failures and the clients and stuff like that. And I, and I really do feel like it is. Sometimes all we can do is just kind of walk along along someone. And, and I think of the metaphor of going, you know, going into the forest by yourself. It's like you're, you're almost merging path paths with that person. You're not leading them to their own path. You're not leading them to your path. You just kind of get a walk alongside of them, plant some seeds. And sometimes that's all we can do, you know, is just to be a part of whatever their journey is and, the, you know, the addict in me wants to control what that journey actually looks like. And I think that that's where a lot of the disappointment for me has come from is if I can't control how this person is going to react, then I'm a bad person. You know, then, right. I, then this is my fault. It's a reflection. Which realistically... You know, and w- which is after long consideration on that particular thought over the years of my journey, <laughs> come to realize that that's arrogant as fuck <laughs> to be yeah, able to to be able to think yeah, that like is. I'm some powerful being that can actually control the outcome of someone else's life, and I mean I, I've had I have seeds that people planted in me like yeah, you Crow, know, we were just talking earlier about. Um, one of the guys that we used to work with he he was my therapist and um and uh when i was 15, 15 16 or something like that and i didn't get sober until i was 23 but there are things that he seeds that he planted in me you know good friend of yours? <laughs> oh, great friend <laughs> but there were seeds you hated the guy yeah, didn't you yeah hated That's him it. at the time yeah. yeah definitely hated him i mean I had a fallen out with him, you know, <laughs> decade and a half ago. But there were seeds that he that he planted in me that didn't start to really blossom until, like, I was a couple years sober. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so yeah. I think that that's what, that's really, like, what we're here to do. And that's really all we can do is just, like, draw, you know, you can, you know, you can, I, I, I always think of the, or the, the thought of just, like, kind of lighting the way for people you know, and kind of show, you know, not, not necessarily guiding them down that path, but just lighting the way, showing them that like, Hey, you know, this has worked for me. And some people take it. Some people don't, you know, and some people find a better, you know, better solution than I did.
2: Well, let's go back to the Campbell analogy here Mm -hmm. with the, with the whole, the initiation period within that hero's journey, we need allies, Mm -hmm. we need enemies we need friends and allies those that'll help us along the way we need enemies of course because they're going we we're, we're going to have to slay our dragons but we're going to need more than anything in there mentors yeah now, Campbell uses mentors as plural mm-hmm. that means it's one after another you're going to have your obi-wan kenobi you're going to have your Gandalf, you're gonna have all these people, but you you know, they're going to die, they're going to go away. And they those always do, typically, those archetypes. And and, and on to the next until you can become one yourself. But always they lead you to the path, to your path. Mm-hmm. They'll 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 help guide you, but they're gonna but when you get on your path, you gotta go alone. Yeah. And You know, to go back to something else earlier that you had said, the success Mm. rate, let's double back to that. And we have to, I think, spend some time on defining what is exactly success. And I I think in in, in the recovery field that we've talked about, I think success is just staying sober. That doesn't mean you're happy. That doesn't mean that you're satisfied. That doesn't mean you've found your goal yeah, in life. I, I mean, I absolutely it's think that. Just but, staying, right, staying freaking sober, sober right. is that, challenge number one. If you can hang on for six months, uh, a month, uh, a week, right. and you've never seen that in 20 years, hey, fantastic, man. Let's build right, on that. Right. But, uh, but, um you know there is, so we have to really define that and then always keep in in clear mind the redefinition of that always mm-hmm. because that is going to be a moving target that has to always be redefined
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know in a in a bigger way as you grow but i don't want our friends at home Listening to this thinking, Oh my god, I'm only two weeks or thirty days sober, and I don't know how I'm gonna do this. You are gonna do this. Yeah. And 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 that is a
0: success in itself. That's a success. That is
2: the fact that you're there, mm-hmm. you're doing it, you're reframing it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um that you're at that point in life where you've even said to yourself, I need to change. I need a change in my life, and this can actually we can broaden this narrative out too. We can broaden this out to everybody in life, not just somebody in any sort of recovery process, but in any process of of unhappiness. you know we it, it starts with one step you, you know, Martin Luther King man said it he couldn't have said it better than than him that with you don't have to see the first step to or the top of the stairs to take the first step right so that is often how it looks to us too Mm -hmm. like a totally darkened staircase so the sooner you can get used to that and learn to be comfortable with that i think is success
0: yeah, and I, and I think that the pitfall that many people fall into is defining our success by other people's success. Oh, uh, exactly. And, I mean, just getting into that, that whole comparison thing, and I think that that's... If you really dive, dive into that comparison hole, we, we arrive at shame, you know? I think we get down to the point where, we're like, well, this person's better than me. I'm not good enough, you know? I'm not worthy. And I think that it's... It's super imperative to understand that everyone's journey is, you know, we've, we've talked about it multiple times that everyone's journey is going to be different. You have to go on your journey alone and your visions are of success are not going to look like your parents' idea of success. They're not going to look like your counselor's idea of success. Um, They might not even look like your ideas of success, you know? Right. And so I think that it's it's super important to you know we've talked about this too just removing your expectations of how you think success is actually going to look like and take that first step you know where in wherever that staircase leads you i mean it's going to lead you to places that are unfamiliar and they're scary you know and they're but it's if if it is on your journey of success then like that that is success within itself that's it Mm -hmm. and to reframe and learn how to focus
2: on your attitude your attitude is your choice and don't let anybody take that from you you can be in a prison cell i mean uh victor frankl jesus he they never Mm -hmm. gave up their choice they never gave up their freedom right (laughs) but but with with that with that um um yeah, I just lost my
1: train. Anyway, I had this friend, brewer friend that had a lot of run-ins with the law
0: mm-hmm. from
1: his drinking and driving. And uh, he ended up going to jail for a while. Not terribly long. But he was always like, I just had to make jail fun. So, like, you know, and we used to say that at the the, last, the big last brewery I worked at. we're You know, we're trying to make prison fun and... Yeah, you know, the owners, right. ownership didn't appreciate that the <laughs> business was <laughs> analogous to prison. But yeah. you know, sometimes jobs are like a prison. But uh, I was but, thinking what, about this when But I what did to,
2: you? But, but the the point I was making there was your expectation. You said you have to, right? As I, I had said, you have is, to annihilate it. You have to get rid of it and replace expectation with willingness.
1: Well, I think mm. the big problem I see as an outsider on this whole thing is there are i think these people think that well if i conquer my addiction everything else will be fine
0: right? yeah not uh, not, not, not the truth unfortunately no yeah and i not think i think
1: that's the big the to me you know obviously i i you guys have much more experience um in this but you know having had lots of friends like that with problems like drinking drug whatever even just mental illness or whatever you know guilt, shame, anxiety issues, they haven't... Well, if I I have a friend, i are like, well, if I move to Colorado, all my problems are gone. You know? And mm-hmm. it's like, no, they're coming with you. And I think this yeah. is pr- my opinion, and, you know, what the fuck do I know? But I think when these guys, you, when people get out, they're like, okay, I'm sober, now what? You know? Like, that was the only problem they had. Right? Like, the only yeah. problem I have is... I'm doing drugs. Well, why are you? You know, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, why? Why? <laughs> you know, and that's that whole thing. Like getting to the answers, you have to ask why five times. So, like, mm-hmm. why are you doing drugs? Well, because of this. Mm-hmm. Why did that? Why, and yeah. And why? Why why, and why? why? And finally, get to like. Maybe you get to the root problem like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I never got an attaboy or my parents were a drug addicts or abusive or whatever, you know, that you need to address. Mm-hmm. So I think the problem, oh, I think why you get 95% of the people sliding back is
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's been no real addressing. I mean, I get it. The spirituality thing is good because you're, you know, you've got a higher power, right? But... It takes a huge amount of discipline
2: mm-hmm.
1: to stay on the path like yes y- you've got a yes. you're walking yep. out of a rehab center maybe into a halfway house maybe back to you know wherever you lived and all of a sudden this network that you had in the center <laughs> is gone right like and you're like okay what now and then you become overwhelmed, I'm like holy shit! I don't have a job anymore. I I don't even know what I want to do with my life. My whole life has been about getting high forever, mm-hmm. and now Without- I still have all these problems. I don't have a job. I don't uh, fuck it. I'm gonna get high. It's much. It's easy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to be in that rut and and stay in it. Like w- w- why should I? I'm gonna get go out into this world of shit. At least when I'm high, I can cope with it.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: We need to start
2: really stay. Fo- which brings us to the point of don't chase the symptom; chase the problem. Mm-hmm. And it, and are drinking or anything else, as they always say, is just a symptom of a much greater problem. Right. So we need to go for the problem. And this and maybe and this the is, problem oh, isn't a, you know. And and if we haven't addressed those issues, coming right back to the beginning, it's going to show up in your service work. Those underlying issues, causes, conditions, concerns, they're going to show up and manifest in the way you try to... You know,
1: yeah, well, uh, I work. saw that in our time with those kids. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked about my issue with kids bullying me and my thing, and with
2: you have to do your and homework.
1: That. And a lot of those kids were like just like the bullies that I had to deal with growing up. And I'm like, you know, they they'd start doing it, right. right. and I'm like, triggered. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going realized, to the trigger <laughs> room yeah, right now. I would sit there and go, well whatever this kid has a problem
0: i don't have the problem yeah you know yeah. so yeah which which is kind of what i was talking about earlier with cuz my experience has been exactly that yes. where where which is where like i you know i had my i had 9 months of sobriety and in those 9 months i did i did complete a set of steps and and completing the set of steps is is one of the reasons that i actually got the job that i did is because I went back in my, my, when I hit my nine months, I went back and I, and I made amends to all the people at the rehab because I was a total shit show. And I was about, like, I was the problem client for sure for, for years at this rehab that I was a part of. And, um, you know, I finally sat down and did the work, but I did not realize at that point how many layers left of the onion I had to go. And I think that, yeah, my, my first experience, like I was saying, like projecting and like, you know, resentments and all kind, you know, not being able to manage my anxiety. And, um, you know, I, I had a job a few years back where like, I fell into my trauma cycle with some of my bosses, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. have had to deal with, had to deal with that, you know, with, you know, my abandonment issues and all kind, you know, just shit that like, I didn't foresee coming up but when you're in a situation when you're working with people who are at their most vulnerable and they're at their Ross like form a human you know like when you get thrown into fucking rehab or when you get thrown into jail all of this person's character defects are on display and the chances are I'm going to relate to about half of those Mm -hmm. and if you haven't actually dealt with your own shit those character defects are going to show up in your own person as well And I did not realize that when I had first jumped into recovery or when I had first jumped into this field that I had years of work that I had to do. I really, really did because it was it was to the point where it was almost detrimental to the client because it was like it it became it became about me Mm -hmm. like so often that like there was no opportunity for me to hold space to be able to. You know, like a client's dealing with, like, abandonment issues. It was like, well, I have unresolved abandonment issues. I can't fucking help you, man. You're right. You know? and I. But I think being able to identify that that's where I was has allowed me to be as useful as I am right now because I've dealt with a lot of that shit, still have a lot of the onion, onion to peel back, and I'll be peeling back for the rest of my life. But I'm no longer getting in my own way of being able to serve other people. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Like if, you know, the, the first couple of jobs in this field, like you're going to fuck up, you're going to like, you're, you know, you're going to do something that could potentially cause more harms to the client. That's then that it's helping them, but we're humans. We're doing the best that we can with what we know. And like, what I know with that time was like unresolved trauma, right. You know, and, right. it, and it was not until I had actually realized how much that was hurting me. You know, did I actually start to do that transformation? And I became and I became willing to actually go through that transformation. But now, yeah. I'm able to so like show I,
1: up. And maybe that's why I have a hard time wrapping my head around like you're gonna fuck up because someone's life's in your in your hands, basically. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, imagine you were a guy that maintained airplanes. Like, well, oh, yeah. yeah. I kind of you know, <laughs> dude, you're just gonna fuck up. You know, it's all. Ninety-five out of hundred flights are probably going to crash from the plane you worked on. Yep. I'd be like, "Well,
2: no, I don't want to hear a
1: ninety-five percent chance. Yeah, I want to hear a hundred. Yeah, I want it. One hundred percent of the planes are functioning properly. Yeah. The, I, the, the other and, thing. And I, and so to me, and the, this is my brain. This is where my brain works because mm-hmm. I'm a perfectionist, and it suits me really well in some things, and it mm-hmm. really doesn't suit me well in others. <laughs> but when it came to a job. And this is probably why I had such a problem with those kids when when you know when we were counseling together. Yet, yes, it yeah. was challenging because I I, you know, prided myself in the years of brewing that I brewed thousands and thousands of batches of beer and probably only threw away three in twenty six years. Yeah. Whereas you know the last brewer I worked at, the kid that replaced me, they've dumped half of them, and I'm like. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. One out of, you tw- know, three in 26 years is too many. Yeah. You know, like, I remember. That's this. perfection. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we had this. We That's perfection. It, so <laughs> we built, put these new built this big addition to the brewery and put these big fermenters in. And we brewed Thursday, Friday to fill one. And then came in Monday and the cooling system had gone down over the weekend. We have no way to know without going in all the time. But mm-hmm. there was no sign. So we had to throw away, you know. The uh, two thousand gallons of beer, which you know over the counter, that's like you know a hundred thousand dollars worth of. Uh, yeah you know. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> so when when I hear like five percent, I'm like, no. So to me, I think I could never do that because I'd be like, just dwell on the failures. Like, how do I make? But yeah. and having you guys gone through this and worked in it, I mean, do you ever cause, like? What would work better So to me I'm always doing that Like Kaizen thing You know The tiny steps Of like Toyota did To make a better car Like Tiny steps Kaizen So tiny Baby steps Right Towards quality control Right So in my mind Like how do we make This Industry, which it is an industry now because mm-hmm. of the amount of addiction. How do we make it better? What little things can we do ooh, to make a ooh. higher success rate? Ooh, right? Well, I like, you, I like this. I as, like this. Yeah. I, I'm going to use this, Alan. As you guys in the trenches, do you yeah. are you allowed to go go to someone higher up and go, "Hey, can we try this? Will this work?" It's like when we worked with the kids. Yes. And I yeah. read about how. Um, Well, I think that's that's going to depend. That's Mm going to
2: depend on the agency to agency you're you're working with and the folks you're working around. Some are pretty resistant to that sort of thing, but most, I think, are pretty good um, about uh, pretty pretty positive and pretty supporting in listening to that because ultimately they're. It's not like. Uh, what, how, how do you put it? A, a real nine to five, a secular type job where it's just there to, for the bottom line. Typically, this uh, service in this industry, man, that we're doing is like, you know, uh, you're going to get support. And you're going to get everybody there that's going to pour the dollars and everything else into into client care and whatnot. So, um, it, it's not like a regular money-grinding profitable business, I
0: guess. Well, um, (laughs) but...
2: But yeah, see, not necessarily, I, not all I, I the
1: time. I know I'll, this, also, I'll
0: uh, say my piece. You know, I'll yeah, say my piece yeah, after you're done. <laughs> yeah,
1: but it, I think that's a little. It, weird anyway, yeah. anyway, it, 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 it is. You look is. at the healthcare industry in general; it's all about the bottom line. That's why we have such crap it, healthcare when basic pay right, for it. Right. right. This is true, but for the most part, the people around
2: you and your close proximity are going to support you. Yeah. Because they've seen it and they've been there and they've done that. Yeah. um but i you you on that point though on that point it, it humans is different than any sort of commodity or any sort of thing we're to 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 get to that place that Kyle was referring to earlier that point to where you know you're just holding space which is in a in a weightless space where you know that there's no judgment on me or on them and it just is and that Ultimately, here's the kicker coming back to this. I'm not the only one that's going to help you and get my hands on you, person. Mm -hmm. You know, client, kid, uh, brother, sister. I'm just one of hopefully millions that get their arms around you. And I'll warm hand off. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm just warm handing you off to somebody else in, in this world that will... Your next mentor, your next person, right. and who knows? Maybe it's going to be an amalgamation of all these seeds that have been dropped that you will find joy and peace and and happiness. But it's going to be all of us, and and it, and and that that also ties into this bigger, beautiful, conscious sort of awareness that man, you really are small when you do this work, and the bigger you feel you're getting, and. The more powerful you, uh, that you you come away from that place mm. of the ego trip, and then you get to a place of real utter smallness, and it's like I'm just one right. of. But
1: are you an outlier? I mean, are you the typical person that works in one of these places, or I is everyone no? Yeah, so I, I mean, don't
2: know, but I think I don't know. I don't know that.
0: So I. Well, I I can say from my own experience, it kind of it really is going to depend, and I'm not going to mention names, but maturity. It, it well maturity, but I think it also depends on who's running the company that you're working for. Um, I think that I mean there's there there are things in psychology about like trauma trickle-down effects and you know energy trickle-downs and all kinds of stuff which is where the person at the very top is setting the tone and if the person at the very top is setting the tone is is i'm doing this for money you know which is I've, i've worked at a few places across different states where people have been in it for the money and the clients are basically just a big bag of money that you're passing around, um, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, overcharge insurance and trying to do you know, just like, like it can be, it's a really sick culture. Right. And when you're working at a place like that, the energy of whoever is running that company is felt. And when you are working in a place like that, with you know, with people who just have shit intentions about being there, um, you could definitely be the outlier. Um, I have yet to find a place where everyone is on their shit, everyone is dealing with their own stuff. I just started working at another company. Um, I, I don't know yet. You know, I don't know yet. I have a really good feeling about it. But I have yet to work at a company for a long period of time where everything was, you know, peachy, a hundred percent of the time. But then also, like we are, we are dealing with humans at their most vulnerable, and when you're dealing with humans at their most vulnerable, I think you see the dark and you see the good. You see that duality every single right.
1: day. Well, do you think that? Since a lot of the people who work there, I, mean, I don't know, maybe not, maybe not a lot, maybe you guys are outliers in that you went through the system kind of, mm-hmm. more you than Chris, but that you have a better understanding than somebody who just like, I got a psychology degree and now I'm going to go do this. It was like, you know, when we worked with kids, it was easy for me to relate to those kids because I was one of them when I was their age you know yeah. whereas we yes. worked with guys who were like oh yeah. my grandfather used to fly us on the private jet down to to the ocean you know like well yeah. have most, you ever had any problem most, in your life no okay
2: right most yeah. most everybody that i've encountered in recovery centers have been there and it, actually the more i think about it the in each one of these fields people tend to pick or gravitate towards the field that they feel the most compassion towards mm-hmm. that they, that they came sprung up from. Right. Um, yeah, there was ex homeless people in the homeless clinic I worked at and it, same with that field there yeah. uh, with at risk youth. Right. Um, but especially in recovery centers, uh, you find a lot of people, that are in recovery themselves, right. and it's, a, and, it's a and more, this... not 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 to say anything against anybody who's very well educated and very well uh, knowledgeable in addiction recovery that hasn't been there themselves. That's not saying anything against them right No, I understand. but that. from what I have seen, my experience is that there's been most people are, in recovery themselves, the question I think that you that gets to this, what you're asking, is do they have this sort of maturity, right. and do they have this sort of self awareness? Right, which to, feeds to know into how what Kyle themselves. talked
1: about when he was first in it, and you know he'd he'd reflect the trauma or there he'd see that, and it would you know yes. trigger whatever was going on with him. And I'm like, yeah. is that helpful to your clients like no right it's no it's it's detrimental it's
0: detrimental because yeah and i and i think that i i had actually gotten to a place with my last company where it was so detrimental that i had fallen into like a stupor within myself i mean just i i think i had so much unresolved stuff that like i it it would have been better if i didn't work there it would have been more helpful to the clients if I didn't work there. Right. It really would have, and I think um, I think I I, I wanted to t- to talk on the the people who don't have like the recovery experience working in this field because my my experience I I would say that I the probably twenty percent of the people that I've worked with have not been in recovery. And for for anyone who's listening, if you're not in recovery and you just like topics that, you know, the kind of the topics that we're talking about. And I I think that if you're thinking about going into this field, you have to understand that there is going to be pushback, because I think one of the first things that people are looking for in their recovery journey is some type of empathy. And I think that they're looking to they're really looking to not feel alone. And if you can't offer that to them. They're going to discredit you immediately. And I, every, almost every single client that I have ever talked to, if, if I was working at a company, and I have, where one of the primary therapists was, um, you know, grew, I mean, s- Silver Spoon, had no issues, they're like, well, I think psychology is interesting. I might go into this field. The clients fucking hated them. Yeah. Because they didn't, they did not trust them. And because I think that like what, what ends up happening is that when you're in recovery yourself, there's almost like an validation, um, validation. A validation, but there's an, un, there's an unspoken bond that you have. Like when you're in recovery and you just automatically build trust and rapport with people and people who are just getting into the recovery field don't trust anyone. They don't trust them fucking selves. That's why they're there right and right. so and if you can't and so I think that like it's it is much more difficult for people who don't have the experience to relate to someone who is an addict because right. you can read you can read as many psychology books as you could possibly have you could read all of them and you still will not understand what it feels like yeah. you still not will you, you will not understand what it you know you know what it feels like to be to not pick up a drug
2: and we can we can even broaden that out. Mm-hmm. We can even say, okay, a combat vet. I I I would don't know what I would say Mm-mm. to somebody in a room full of combat vets that have been say in Fallujah. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Never been in the military. Not my bag. I don't understand mm-hmm. what they've experienced. And they would not want they could listen to me as far as the in regards to the addiction piece. That they've encountered since they've returned home but I wouldn't be the carrier of any sort of good message um, and there are certain fields within let's say military that I've encountered that there's no way I can get through it takes another person of that caliber for right, one for example right. one example was, was my most interesting was at one time a, uh, a fighter pilot Well, now you don't think really, you never really think about that, but look at they're an elite breed and they are taught that no one is better than them. And if they go into the air, you know, especially against any sort of foe, you thinking that you're less than the best, there's going to be troubles, right? So automatically out of the gate, they've been ingrained in them that they are the best. And who's going to break that? Well, it takes another one. It takes one with more years and experience, probably more of a top gun, mm-hmm. to speak down to that individual. But there's no way I could ever get through to, to that that group of people. Yeah. They were not going to listen to a long-haired uh, guy that's been an alcoholic for 20 years. That just will not yeah. do. So we we like our own kind we we have to know and there's a certain amount of not a, I want to take that validation further i want to know you've been through the ringer so i don't have to tell you everything right you just <laughs> automatically know it and in a recovery center what's the most beautiful thing is all of this validation right off the get go is taken care of We don't have to sit there and greet and know each other at the lunch table for the first time. That little topic about my past is already off the table. Yeah, you know that, or otherwise you wouldn't be here. So, you know, that's a big chunk of me that's already been you know explained to you, Um, and that leaves the rest to be to be opened up. So, Mm -hmm. but,
1: well, so. Maybe part of, and I hate to dwell on the negative, but is it, do you think that part of it could be that there isn't as much success as because there's so many different stories and so many different ways that these people got there that when you have a group of 40 people you're talking to, none of their stories are the same, right? I was watching yeah. a video the other day of that Kensington neighborhood in Philadelphia. I don't know if you guys have seen these videos of these people on Trank. Mm-hmm. It's freaking just tragic. Like, it's a fentanyl and some animal tranquilizer mix. Is it car
0: fentanyl? Which uh, is a buffalo uh, tranquilizer? It might be. I don't
1: know (laughs) what it is. It's it's the most tragic thing. Like... They're like zombies. They're like standing, but they're completely bent over, just swaying. They're yep. like just laying everywhere. God yes. nods. You know? yes. And I'm like, oh, my yes. God, those are someone's children. That's someone's daughter right there. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. that's oh, I was visiting my buddy Troy the other day, and I see this girl walking down the sidewalk. He's like, oh, she's going to smoke crack back there with her pimp. Mm-hmm. Like a teenage girl. And I'm like, why? Why? You know, like, yeah. And I yeah. remember years ago, and this mm-hmm. is 30 years ago. It was in Times Square from my brother's um uh, bachelor party and these guys had this terrible idea which we luckily didn't do but we went to Times Square and but this is before it was like you know disnified. this was when it was seedy and I remember talking to this beautiful girl like she would do like private shows for you and I'm like and I'm kind of drunk you know and this whole like hero thing comes out I'm like you should move to Colorado and get out of this and get your life together and mm-hmm. she's like yeah I don't know what I would do you know mm-hmm. so it's like you see these people, and you're like, "All right, everyone's got a different story. Everyone's got a different trauma they're dealing with." But here, we're going to do this blanket blanket approach, and you know, it's like shotgun. We're going to shotgun this shit and see if it works. I, and and maybe again, that goes to my like, you got to be more successful than that,
0: yeah. right? So, I ha- I had mentioned to you guys, and I and I know that you have experience with this. So, um, one of the first things that I was at my new place, we were one of the, I had two days, I actually had six days of orientation, but two of those days were talking about motivational interviewing. So, um, motivation and I, and I had, I talked to you guys, I just texted you guys telling you that I was fucking loving it because the last place I had learned about motivational interviewing before, but for whatever reason, the way that the current company that I'm doing, the way that they did it was phenomenal and motivational interviewing is a therapy technique that was designed by god i don't remember but it doesn't matter so it is it's a therapy technique where you are leading people to their own solution as opposed to providing them with a solution and for me personally i mean there's a lot of stuff there's cbt dbt i mean there's talk therapy there's all there's like all kinds and motivational interviewing falls in there it's not always helpful but a lot of the times that it is because alan you were talking about throwing this like blanket approach over to people and i 100 percent agree because it's the same kind of thing with like the school system which is where um you know like in in school i thought it was stupid for the longest time because my brain processes information um that is outside of that cookie cutter mold that the school kind of does and a lot of Treatment centers are still going with this, like, this cookie cutter um, model of addiction, all this other kind of shit. And so, what we were learning about in this motivational interviewing, which was two eight hour days, um, that were, I mean, they were just wonderful, but we were talking about, um, we were talking about ambivalence, you know, which is, which is where. You know, the cycles of change, you know, when people are talking about change talk or how to lead people to change talk. And we were talking a lot about walking along alongside people, which is something that I've mentioned a lot during this podcast, which is where a lot of people don't want to hear a solution. And when you give them your solution— that might not actually work for them right. which is one of the problems that i actually had the first time at my my previous job we were we were talking about removing our, our own biases and i realized that through my yeah. own 12 step program i had a bias thinking that that 12 step program was the only way to get sober and i started to learn about all of the statistics about that 12 step program and it was only it only made up about 20% of all the recovery Um, in drug and alcohol, you know, there's stuff like white Buffalo and smart recovery and celebration recovery and, um, well, I mean, there's like a whole bunch of stuff, but because I had been, you know, they, they call it brainwashing in that program, you know, because well, my brain needed to be a little bit washed because it was fucked up. But I thought that like, if you don't do it the way that I did it, you're not going to get sober. That was one of my issues when I first started working the program because I kept trying to jam my own views and opinions and my solutions down people's throat, and then I shamed myself when that solution didn't work. So this motivational interviewing is more about um, – it's not telling them to do anything. It's asking that why. It's asking – you know, tell me about that. You know, why, you know, why do you think you feel like that? You know, what do you think you should do with that information? It's it's about asking, like, open-ended questions so that people can figure out their own solution because I don't know what their fucking solution is. And I think that the issue with a lot of the, the approach to mental health right now is that people with degrees think they know the solution, which is wrong. And I think it's arrogant. And... I've had wild success being able to lead someone to their own solution which is going to look very very different than what I think it is. Um, but it but it also like, you know, when you when you talk to someone who is thinking about, you know, that you know they say the first step is just admitting you have a problem. So a lot of people that come into that come into recovery might possibly maybe kind of understand that there's an issue because or if there wasn't why would i be here and what what this actually comes down to is ambivalence and ambivalence is they had a great little video in this orientation where it was like a seesaw and you have change on one side of the seesaw don't change on the other side of the seesaw and ambivalence is like you're standing directly in the middle of the seesaw both of the sides of the seesaw are up So what ends up happening when you're trying to provide someone with a solution is that you jump really hard on one side of the seesaw, the change part of the ambivalence. The other person in order to balance out that seesaw has to go to the other side of the seesaw in order to kind of just balance that out. So they, instead of providing them with like a helpful solution, they've actually gone further into like resisting the change. And so we, you know, we were learning about how a lot of the time we are actually the people who are cultivating resistance in like some type of like change or something like that. But if you were to go along that side of the seesaw or come out to the middle of the seesaw with them and then let them go to whatever side that they're going to, they're, they're much more willing to actually go to the side of change, you know, to actually start implementing um, instead of just like kind of pre-contemplation They can actually get into the contemplation, you know, phase of just understanding that, you know, I actually have a problem and this is actually detrimental to my health. But I think that there I, I, I have found that that has been one of the most beneficial things that we can actually offer people because a lot of people. They don't want a solution. They just they they want to vent. They want to talk about their issues. Um, they they want to be heard. They want to they need empathy. And I think that when you come at someone with a full solution of like you need to do it this fucking way, you know. And there's a lot of systems in our in our world right now that are that are like that. Like you know the the military, the schooling system, um, you know corporate jobs and stuff like that. Like you have to do it this way. Like there's no, it leaves absolutely no room to find like yourself. yourself and your own solution. And like, you know, what, you know, what do I actually like and what actually yeah. works for me? And, and um, that that's one, that's one of the many approaches that we can actually work through it. But, you know, but when you're dealing with stuff, um, I think that my personal experience, I think that that's where it needs to start is like, is like leaving that space for people to find their own solution. And then, I mean, there are things like when you're dealing with trauma, like there are realistically, there are only a few ways to deal with trauma, you know, in order to actually rewire like the neural pathways in our brain and to be able to deal with that kind of stuff. So there are places that like, you kind of have to go by the book, but I, I think, Mm-hmm. It, it, if we start jumping in and, and throwing this this cookie cutter blanket out all over everyone, like they're
2: and and, and I love that because because w- with that too, um, the more sometimes people just start talking in terms of the biases, not mm-hmm. the traumas, but the, mm-hmm. in terms of their biases and what they think. I think this, and I'm going to do this, and yada yada. Um, the more they just hear themselves speak hear themselves say it out loud to somebody else they hear what a dumb idea it is yep they have that rule in the the military say it three times and you know say it in front of other people mm-hmm. and if you can't then it's probably a bad idea yeah. right
0: and that's and that's so, one of the things in motivational interviewing is about like reflective listening and so as opposed to um, you know, it's it's almost taking the gist of what someone said and then being able to reflect it back, reflect back the yeah. you know there there are complex reflections and there's advanced reflections all kinds of shit, but it's really just regurgitating like what they said, kind of parroting it back because then they get to hear it again and mm-hmm. be like, Actually, that's not how I feel. Or actually, that's a really dumb thing for that's me a to say. Really you know, dumb idea. and so I think that that's that's more beneficial than being like, "Hey, that's a really dumb thing that you just said there." You yeah, know,
2: yeah, <laughs> like, But if you paired it back with what I just heard you say was this, mm-hmm. am I right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then they, yeah, then they get to really think about it, and there are yeah. things that you can actually do where you can almost you can over embellish the reflective listening. And so, because when you over embellish something that someone says, they can kind of like they're like, actually, no, I th- I don't think that's necessarily true. I think this is how I actually feel, right. you know. So you kind of get some more of the the core of like where someone actually is, mm-hmm. as opposed to telling them where they should be. Yep. And I think that that's one of one of the most beneficial solutions that i think should be taught to everyone who's in this field it's like i mean just just look it up there are workshops on motivational I interviewing that's
2: the first one you got to go through yeah, right?
0: yeah. yeah yeah and so I, yeah. but it's it's super beneficial because because i think the things you know going back to like my own projecting and my own trauma and stuff like that i think when i first got into this field I was treating it like I was a, the authority, like I was my parents or something, just you know, trying to t- take people's phones away. It was like, dude, they, the people in, that are in rehabs have been dealing with that their whole fucking life. They don't need it again. Right. You know?
2: Right. Well, you know, I, when, when I went through my courses, mm-hmm. uh, none other than Danny, Danny Meyer,
0: yeah. that yeah. was yeah. here
2: with us, yeah. uh, uh, our guest, she, she was my instructor on that. Yeah. And it was a wonderful... She's a killer. I think Caller. two or three day course on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. she did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, yeah, that was that was really really good. Um, um, coming back to service, coming back to service for anybody that's out there, um, service is a, is the the best way, I think. What I found about service in answer to your question at the very top of the hour was why would you recommend it? Why would you not? And I would say for any of us in this stage in our life that we've gone through where there's some self-discovery, self-awareness, insights that we want, we're, we're, we're going to the next level, a, a different level. Let's not say the next. I don't mean that as in being up or down or anything. I'm just saying to a different transitory place in your life where you're going deeper within yourself. I don't think there's a greater place than to go in, in terms of service. There just isn't. That's been proven since the beginning of mankind is that to serve your fellow man, but when you do, you know you you learn if you're not willing to learn more about yourself than others, then we have to check ourselves, I think, because it's a constant give and take relationship in this. And sometimes uh, for those of us that do do service work and are in this field, we tend to think we're the ones that are giving the help, giving the advice, giving the guidance. And I think when we get... Out of the frame of mind that really it's a two-way street, you're screwed. I mean, they're they're giving you a lot about yourself. So there's our le- grade A lesson in humility, capital H, right off the bat, and it teaches you a tremendous about about what we had talked about. Also, is expectations. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Let go. Get rid of that. Um. And be aware in self-care and what comes up for you, man. Just really, if you don't have boundaries, then if you if you're not familiar with your boundaries, now, <laughs> huh? now is gonna be the, your your hardcore lesson in that and being aware yeah. of those. Those I used to boohoo that, you know. What do you mean these energy within me? Oh, my God, you just touched on that too, Alan, when you said uh, you were drained. I'm drained every first day that I'm off of work. And I just, I'm physically, I just want to sleep all day. It's because I'm taking, 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 um, you know, and holding that line, that line. So that's my, my, kind of my closing thought.
0: Yeah, what do you got? I I would I would have to agree with you. I think that it's in in this is really just like all like all three of us have have had this experience of working in the field, and it's really all we're doing this entire podcast is just trying to, and I think all we really can do is just share our experience about our failures and our fuck ups, so that hopefully other people don't have to experience them themselves yeah you know, and I think that it's you know what what you were saying i th- I think boundaries are super super important if you're if you're in recovery and you're thinking about getting into this type of work you you really have to understand that there there is layers of your own onion that have to be peeled back before you're going to be truly ready to really really serve someone to like the highest extent
2: mm-hmm and don't let that scare you. No, it's not. It's, it's a, not, it's a no. healthy warning, but don't yeah. let that scare you. Yeah, away from from service. Yeah, because others need what you have.
0: Yeah, they absolutely do. Because because everyone's everyone's experience is valuable, and I- anyone who's listening, I mean, your experience is valuable. I mean, whether you're in recovery or mental health recovery or not, I mean, what what you have to say can really have a monumental impact on like the trajectory of someone's life. Right. You know, whether you know it or not, or whether you actually see that change happen immediately or not, you know, which usually it doesn't, um, you would be very, very surprised by what people will remember you and they'll remember how you made them felt. They'll remember, you know, they, they might not make, you know, they, you know, if, if you, if you come, come into this line of work, and with open arms and, you know, compassion and empathy, like people are going to remember, you know, they might not remember you by name. They might not even remember what you said to them, but they're going to remember how you made them felt. Right. And I think that that is, that is about all we can pass on sometimes alongside just kind of planting seeds so that people can, you know, maybe water water those seeds at some point in, in their own journey. Yeah. But if we're... You know if we're cut off from our own emotions if we're cut off from our own self-compassion if we don't have boundaries if we if we don't like if we're not okay like we're not going to be able to hold that space for other people that's right that's right and
2: i like that i love that from that maya angelou
0: mm-hmm.
2: that said that, that they're not going to remember anything you said but they will remember how you made them feel and mm-hmm. and and I, it took me a while to really grow into that because think about it. when we were counseling youth, some of those youth never really knew some of those feelings and those emotions. They'd never really felt them, truly felt them, and that they were or that they're capable perhaps at that right. age well, that you're even capable yeah, of feeling and a that a lot of and,
1: them are resistant to it mm. Like, mm. You, you could see on their face like all of a sudden something was shifting or in their body language yes mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden they it, it was like an uncomfortable thing like yeah you know, but they were learning yeah, they like, were
2: learning awe perhaps for the first time right. They were learning. actually
1: feeling empathy or True caring because it came from a situation where they didn't have that, and
2: it wasn't good to show that they were that um, being that vulnerable. So Mm -hmm.
1: that was always weird because you could see it. Yes, and there were times where, especially if the other kids were around, it was very challenging for a lot of them to like a lot of us as counselors. Like one on one, all of a sudden they'd be like super open and vulnerable, and you know, and realize that you cared. Um, Yeah. And some of those kids, it was hard to care for because they were just such shitheads. Oh, they're shitheads. Yeah, but the beauty
2: about them, as opposed to us, you know, grown ups, is that they're not very good at learning to to hide the bullshit yet. Right. And that was what made it so beautiful too. Yeah. Is that they were just so, so. Um, unconvincing <laughs> yeah, because because they're really not good like us grown ups at, at shrouding all this shit and um, yeah it, that was they haven't painted their masks
0: yet no you know? they have not but you know yeah. <laughs> along with
2: that too and what you guys were saying is that remember ultimately in the end nobody wants to hear all the good, t- good stuff you did they don't want to hear how good you had it, how cool you are. They want to hear about how tough you had it. They want to hear about how shitty things can get because it's not what happens to us. It's what we do with it. And yeah. ultimately in the end, and that's what other people want to hear in service is, how did you do it? How did you make it? Mm-hmm. And that's returning the hero's journey.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also important, before we wrap this up, I think it's important to understand that, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the challenges of going into this field if you were, if you have not actually been through these experiences. Understand that that's not, like, a definite barrier. I think you just have to kind of humble yourself and understand that you don't understand. Yeah. And yeah. I think that if you lead with your chin on that, I think that people are going to be more receptive if you say that, like, no, I don't understand what it's like to have to go through a detox. I don't understand what it's like to have a DUI. I don't understand.
1: Yeah, tell you me. You
0: know, let me hear about it. Let you me know. Tell it. me about your experience. Well, so you go strength in,
1: you, in that. Mm-hmm. and there's strength in saying, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm.
0: well, yes. You know, people, and there's...
1: if you ask someone and they like bluster or say some kind of crap, you're like, no, nah, this guy didn't know what he's talking about. But to me, one of the strongest three words are saying "I don't know." Like if you know,
2: right, mm-hmm. right. So and so you're leading automatically with curiosity, mm-hmm. and you're leading with you know being supported by vo- your vulnerability.
0: Well, and the, I don't yeah. know, well, and I like that. It's those like C's. That. It's curiosity and compassion. Yes. I mean I think as long as you have those. I think you could do really, really well in this field, but I think a lot Absolutely. of people coming in the field thinking that oh, because I have a master's degree, I know more than you know. You fucking yeah, don't. Well, I think you <laughs> no, you
2: don't. Of... Or just because I'm <laughs> yeah. sober, I'm good.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's not no, the case that's either. Not
2: it no, either. Well, it's not yeah. it either. So you get so... a little
1: messiah complex going mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. and then I think the people that have come through, you know, and are sober, are like oh, I did it. It's not that hard even though it was really hard. Yeah. And you may not even be close to being self-actualized. You might just, you're on the first rung of the ladder. You're sober, but, you know, you're still a total fuck-up. Right. And and so like, that's not individuation in the least. That's that's simply, you right. know. And it's, anyhow, this was an interesting conversation. This was a out. great conversation. So, um, hopefully, uh, we can carry on with more Conversations on this kind of line. Maybe we can bring in some a guest. You know, maybe we'll have uh, someone that worked with us with the kids and talk about his journey and highs and yeah. Lows, I have
0: um, my yeah my new my new boss said that he would be. Interested in yeah. doing so this, and let's, so uh, let's
1: start cracking on getting some people in. Um, okay. And since uh, it's Crow's birthday, he can say, "What do you my, got there? What do you th- got?" Man, <laughs> I'm, I'm just grateful
2: that I did make it to this age. Yes, I'm grateful. Yes. I'm grateful for my health. Always got a shout out for my health, man.
0: Because right, you know, I we, feel we're like not
2: gonna,
1: th- we're not going to let you say your job next because <laughs> uh, it's the same three every I'm so. thirty.
2: One now. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Was I thirty-one or was I? You're 30? thirty-one. Okay, you know? yeah, We're 31. thirty-one. Don't going. push it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually double that for folks at home. Almost, uh, but um, no, I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for um, just the journey I'm on. Uh, overall, it's got its highs, it's got its lows, but. You know, um grateful for you guys, for this program, for our listeners, that we can bounce these thoughts back and forth because this uh, truly helps today um, get some things actualized. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys. And thank you listeners.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. What do we got? Um, hmm. I'm grateful that I've been getting some good sleep. I think i i had I had a lot of stuff to do between orientations and doing shadow shifts at my new company and getting into my first week of school and still trying to maintain my workouts and my marriage. And I've I have been quite quite busy the last couple of weeks, um, and I'm I'm pretty grateful that I was able to take care of myself through that and to be able to rest up the way that I needed to and get some good sleep. I am grateful. Um, After this, I'm going to go help my dad put in some windows, and I'm grateful that I get to go spend some time with him. And I am grateful. I'm grateful for my wife. Um, I actually... Um, my wife has been dealing with a hell of a couple of last years and, um, you know, she's really starting to understand some of the things that I think are very, very valuable in sobriety, um, you know, boundaries and discernments and, uh, self-worth and, some of the some of the things that are are just very very cool to see kind of come out of her and you know setting you know removing toxic relationships from her life and understanding that she deserves better than what she's getting and all kinds of stuff and i'm i'm super grateful for her and to kind of be here through her journey that she's been going through so yeah
1: nice well you kind of took all three of mine oh shit <laughs> i uh, it's you know, my little ring told me last week I had an average sleep score of ninety-four, which is really good. Like, hell really yeah! Good. Today was not so good, but I ate a lot of spicy food <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and to it off. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean, the days are getting shorter, and nights are getting kind of cool, so it's mm. a lot easier for me to sleep. It's nice. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it means winter's coming, which kind of sucks, but. You Winter's know. coming. Yeah. It is. Um, so, yeah, sleep has been good. Um and I'm grateful for my wife that she doesn't kill me when I do things like pull pranks on her that are pretty bad. So, um, you know, but I was listening to a podcast the other day, yesterday. Um with Joe Rogan, not on Joe Rogan, uh, it was uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. He had God God sad, Gad sad on there, yes. and it was great because he just has a, he has a new book out on happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it was a really interesting conversation. I would highly recommend listening to it. They got pretty deep on things, and I lost my train of thought. But what the train of thought was was I actually. <laughs> got in worked out yesterday nice. for the first time other than just mountain biking so um and I'll th- do a little shout out so I'm grateful for Adam V Hill running into him cuz he he inspired you know you. <laughs> got me to do that baby step and actually you know of av- not avoid it like and I seriously I was in there for an hour yesterday goofing around with things like the exercise bike i'm like well you know it'd be better if it was more like a mountain bike so i'm down there zip tying mountain bike bike handlebars onto it so i can be more like i'm riding my mountain bike and i'm like just get on it and start pedaling you know (laughs) and then usually when i go back to the gym i go over the board um, I remember years ago, I walked around with my arms bent like this for like two days because I had
0: T Rex arms. Uh, such bad, delayed onset <laughs> yeah.
1: muscle soreness that I couldn't straighten my arms out. For yep. two days, I walked around like this. Like yep. driving, I was like, Argh. yeah, so try to like, wash your hair. Yeah, you can't do anything. <laughs> so I decided I would go very light, high reps. It was fun. So nice. I'll probably, uh, today, I got to take mom around for some doctor's appointments and get to do some other things but tomorrow i'll be back in there and i'm just going to start making it a routine and then i'll get back to the 4 30 in the morning routine which it used to be for years nice but uh you know that's always a tough one to get up that early and motivate to go yep, yep. <laughs> exercise <laughs> but uh yeah i just you know got to get back on it so there are my three
0: Nice exercise, right sleep, on. and my wife. Who, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for for listening. We're kind of talk about some service work and all that good stuff today, and what it's like to be in the field. Um, yeah. So we got we got some stuff coming up here. We're gonna try to get some more um, some return guests on here, and we got some new people coming on. And um, Alan and I are gonna figure out how to set up some video here yes. coming up soon, which. Hopefully, is isn't too convoluted, but uh, hopefully, we can get some YouTube videos up and going, and you can see our pretty faces on yes, this. Faces <laughs> made for podcasts. <laughs> yeah. My 30-year-old <laughs> face. Yeah. 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 It's
2: like,
1: it's like, oh, he looks yeah. great for 30 yeah. 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 right. Well, we wish Adam
2: the best of luck. Oh, we do. Yeah. yeah, yeah he's gonna, good he, luck.
1: He's, he's yeah. uh UFC fight companion. Here we this go. This weekend, you can watch it. He's
0: in... Oklahoma, 3 o'clock. Yeah, nice. Time. Right on. Cool. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, tune into our next episode.
2: All right. Who's got the bowl? Kyle, pass me the bowl.